Helix mattresses have been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Everybody is unique, and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. So how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You can take the Helix Sleep Quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door free of charge. Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10-15 to year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash drink. That's helixsleep.com slash drink. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Hey, does anyone want to learn French with me? Because I've decided in 2024 that I want to learn French. And thankfully, I have Rosetta Stone. So you better hop on and so we can learn French together. Rosetta Stone has the amazing true accent feature, which is so helpful, especially in French. You get feedback on how well you're actually pronouncing words. Plus, they have 25 languages to choose from. So if you're not going to learn French with me, I'm sure you can find some other people who will learn a language with you. But I'm on the French team this year. Come on, folks, join me. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, and that's why we drink listeners, can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash drink. That's rosettastone.com slash drink. Hi, Em. Hi, Christine. Nice shirt. Thank you. Oh, is that Warner nice. Brothers Fire Department? Yeah, it's the one. It's the fire department that's on the actual lot. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know they. I mean, it makes sense. They have that. I didn't know they have that though. Oh, they've got everything. Well, yeah, all movie theaters are not all movie theaters. All studio lots are required to have a uh, fire department and. Some, there's like a list of things that they're required of. One of them was like a gym, which doesn't totally surprise me because <laughs> I guess if you're like, if it's like an action movie and you're like offset, oh. but like you have to go to the gym and stuff like in between scenes, but they don't want you to drive all the way to a gym and everything. So you have to like be able to get ready right there. And Oh God. There's a whole list. I, uh, it fascinates me every time, but yeah, there's always a fire department because studio lots are tricky to navigate. And if something catches on fire, you don't want to have a fire truck going through a maze trying to get into the studio it's a fair point when i was uh when i worked on a a lot i um i just remember them bringing llamas in for fun one day and i was like this is cool you know Um, if they're gonna bring in llamas you just have to expect that there's gonna be like departments of all sorts like governmentally (laughs) funded departments are also involved yeah sure yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. that makes total sense did which was the show that had the llamas on um, I believe it was Gamer's Guide to Pretty Much Everything on Disney XD. Oh, right. You were on a Disney show, so mm. I, that makes total sense that there'd be, like, funky, fresh things to keep the kids happy. Just funky llamas, you know. Did you get a picture with the llamas? I did, actually. And <gasps> it, I got a picture of it eating my hair. It was a very adorable photo. Oh, that's I nice. I, that was one of my one of my very few good moments uh, working on set anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> Yeah, well, that could that could be a whole thing we talk about, I guess. Yeah, stay tuned for the after. We haven't fully come up with a name for the after convo. The after math. <laughs> I don't know. We discuss math topics. The after everything but math. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Oh, why do you drink, Christine? Also, thank you for complimenting my shirt. I feel like I don't get a lot of fashion compliments oh, these days. You're always getting. I told you I liked your pastel shirt last week. You're. I'm always complimenting pastel your shirt. Out. Yeah, you had a hoodie that was kind of like Eastery pastels. Oh yes, obviously my my Classic. Easter pastels. You gotta have one. You got it. Do you like my shirt? I love your shirt. Oh, I really do love your shirt. I was just going to blindly say yes, but uh, <laughs> well, I actually was thinking before we recorded and we were just on Zoom, I was like, oh, you never really wear that color. That's a nice color on you. But I didn't know that Alcatraz was the situation. You know, on- it's funny because somebody mailed this to me and I, I'm such an idiot. I, I never like write down. I don't know where to write them down. Even if I did write down who sent what, I don't think I would be able to keep track of that piece of paper it would just be a disaster but somebody mailed this um and this is my proof that when you guys mail us stuff like we really do appreciate it even if we don't you know handwrite thank you notes i don't know did i say this last time on the air i don't remember where i said this but um at our one of our last shows that we did someone like hand wove me a captain america shield blanket and i sleep with that thing all the time yes that's right and oh my god yes and i have a um is that the same one where it was the the mothman uh yeah. and the th- someone uh crocheted me a thneed or maybe it was for eva i don't know but i have it now and it's a thneed and blaze keeps telling me to stop saying thneed and i won't do it I won't <laughs> honestly stop. it made my whole bottom half of my body perk up like in a in an uncomfortable oh. way the oh. way that you're the way that you're saying that my whole body's like like my stomach's twisting it's like such an uncomfortable sound <laughs> well you like, put words to probably what blaze is feeling every time i say it um, you really i ab- i've never actually heard a word come out of your mouth so gross <laughs> my whole i'm not kidding when i say my whole the whole bottom half of me like my toes curled out of fear like that was I, like i say that word more often than i think most the than the average human that that's um, worse than the M word that everyone hates. Yeah, it is. A moist You're an evil monster. A moist need would be really the worst. Girl, problem. okay. Okay, let me look Whoa. at my shirt here. It says Alcatraz and somebody mailed it. And um, it has like the list of rules or whatever. What does, does it, it say? Does it have that? It, it says every word except that awful one that's happening. <laughs> that you keep saying. I can add it. I have a cricket machine. Um, <laughs> oh. Can you imagine? Uh, okay. Oh, this is funny. I never actually really looked close enough. It's like a, a um, what do you call it? A touristy shirt. So it says Bayview, 24-hour security, live entertainment, bars in every room. <laughs> That's funny. That's such a dad joke. <laughs> it took me a second. I was like, bars, bars. So <laughs> all the fish you can eat. All drinks are on the rocks. Oh, boy. Uh, lifetime guarantee or your money back. And there's an asterisk that goes nowhere so i don't know what that's about uh let's see for reservations call 800 alcatraz this is so fun um so anyway someone mailed us this or mailed me this to my p.o box a long time ago and um i never really get to wear it so here we are i that was truly it's like one father got together with a bunch of other fathers (laughs) and they got to each say one thing and then they wrote them all down on a list on that shirt and then they had to burn it and say you're never allowed to say those jokes again (laughs) so here i am continuing their legacy but that no the color is really nice on you i actually really was thinking earlier oh you that's a good color on you because it reminds me of that jacket you got a while ago that has pink and then that blue on it I think it's oh. your, like, when you're trying to be sporty, it's your Adidas thing. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I probably haven't seen Don't that you have in a an long time. Adidas pink and blue situation? Am I, I crazy? You know, I don't know. Maybe. I'm not crazy. You do have something that's 
hot pink and that color combined on the same jacket. How or fun. It's your, your sporty Adidas thing. I'm not losing my mind here. There's You have a, a pullover or something that matches everyone else in your family. You got it for Christmas or something. <gasps> oh, that teal thing. Yeah, I bought that a long time ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you mean. I don't know where that is. Yeah, you're right. I did absolutely have a teal and a hot pink sweatshirt. Every and time I, you wore it, I was like, it's shockingly amazing looking on you. That's so, so. kind of you, Em. My goodness. Wow. I, if that shirt jogged the old, the old noggin. That's so. it. I got to find that. Um, how are you, Em? Why do you drink this week? Man. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot of stuff going on. Um <laughs> They're all like stupid things that are like I've I've solely made up in my head. Like uh, one's Pokemon cards. I did. I'm like feel guilty for how much money I recently spent on Pokemon cards. And then I went back and looked and some of the cards that are coming in are the wrong ones. So I was clearly (gasps) like just buying things and not looking hard enough at the details. And like I'm buying things. So half of my like big purchase, not half my big purchase, but like two or three of the cards I got that are like. I've been collecting for a while now, so the the cards that I am collecting are more like $30, $40 per card. Mm-hmm. So that means I spent like at least 150 bucks on cards that I already have. So I just feel very silly about that. Oops. And then um, I had to go to the dentist yesterday, and they had to like fill my face with Novocaine. They, they gave me like <gasps> two different shots, and two or three different shots of Novocaine. And... <laughs> Here's the silly thing. So I'm still an update on my heart is that there really is no update, but I'm still taking medication when I tour and then on a very as needed basis, but I'm trying not to like do it all the time. So I hadn't taken any propranol or anything and I was at the dentist and the Novocaine apparently has a lot of epinephrine in it. (gasps) And so in the middle of them, like drugging me up, I had a stupid heart thing happen. (gasps) And I, in my, with my whole mouth, by the way, like just completely like, <laughs> like just numb and like my, my mouth, I sounded gross. I was like, blah, blah. and I had to tell them like, I don't know how to explain this to you, but I need to turn upside down in this dentist chair. So hey, at least you were in a dentist chair. Could they flip you upside down? Uh, I, I did say like, uh, I, <laughs> there was no classy way to do it. I was like, this is going to be a weird one. I don't know how to tell you this, but um, I have, I have a heart thing and it's kicking in. And then she was like, Oh, like there's a lot of epinephrine and the Vinovacaine. Maybe I just injected you with this. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and I was like, then you know what? This is your fault as far as I'm concerned. So you don't get to judge me when I flip upside down. So she was a, a homie about it, but it was a really embarrassing way to, st- cause then I also panicked in my own head of like, Oh, for the, what if it happens again? When like, she's like fist deep into my mouth and oh, like, I got him. You know what I mean? When you there's paint like such a picture, I don't know how to stop it. So <laughs> you're going to have to deal with it. But that was like a truly, like, even if that's a gross image, my anxiety hadn't made it a really bad image in my head of like, there's going to be a bunch of tools in my mouth. There's certainly going to be blood in my gums. And like, it's just going to be a real nasty mess. And I'm not going to be able to communicate fast enough that I can't oh my breathe. God. So it turned into this whole spiraling situation. So the that's dentist wonderful. was no bueno yesterday. I'm sorry about that. And then, um, and and then I've got one other thing, but first, do you have any reason why you're particularly drinking? Um, I'm out of wine and I'm pretty traumatized about it. So I don't know if this counts, but I have a whole thing of grape juice here, which is technically wine. It's a very large container. 
<laughs> is that a Fiji bottle like filled with apple juice? What is that? <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh, it's literally a Fiji bottle. I was like, that's so holy crap. That's grape I, juice. Well, yeah. So I really wanted. Well, I wanted You're apple set juice. Your own heart off with this fucking thing of sugar you have in your hand right now. I'm not gonna drink the whole thing. I've, I've. This is actually I've refilled it to the brim. So I do <laughs> <to> like. <laughs> what the fuck is going on okay so i really wanted apple juice and uh it was very late at night so the only thing that was open was like walgreens and then all they had was apple grape like white grape juice apple juice yum but it only came in the tiny little mott's bottles and i was like i don't want to do that so i just i just poured all them into one bottle you poured little bottles into a giant fiji bottle i see okay yeah just to like and by the way it went perfectly because this is a 32 ounce bottle and they gave me a four pack of eight ounces. And I was this like, oh, my not, God, we're not at the aftermath yet. So okay. I would keep so, this conversation till later. <laughs> I don't know if you want to hear it again, but it's yeah, I, I'm realizing how chaotic that looked as I like held a, a water bottle. You were like, is juice. this wine? I was like, I don't <laughs> think so. Not from my experience. Hey, you um, know what? A bottle this big full of grape juice, as far as I'm concerned, is my version of a wine bottle so oh wait i know why i drink sorry it just occurred to me uh it's this. because that <laughs> there it is wow you just gave me a perfect example <sighs> basically i drink and i'm gonna keep it short but blaze um has a new hobby and <gasps> i'm very what? happy for him because like you know i'm all about it i have some terrible like terribly ridiculous hobbies including talking about sneed so he deserves Stop. to have <laughs> he deserves to have his own you know interest and in hobbies right so he's collecting or he's into bourbon now because we live in Kentucky. That so sounds now, right. Yeah. Like, so it's kind of fun. I'm not really a, I don't really like dark liquors very much, but I'm trying to learn and appreciate. And, you know, there's a couple places nearby that do like tastings and like distill bourbon. And it's kind of, it has a very cool history in Kentucky, especially. So it's an interesting hobby, but um, it means that he is going around a lot and like, either trading bottles with people he's in like some hey i have a bottle i could trade with him (laughs) oh my god you're gonna get in that weird fiji bottle it also it also has a very interesting history (laughs) if he wants it (laughs) very interesting history yes it has a it has a fruity aroma i don't know how to describe bourbon (laughs) but it looks like it could be bourbon right it does well yeah a little bit Uh, i don't know Anyway, so, if he wants it, just let me know. I can ship it to him. I'll tell him that I ordered him a new bottle, and I'll give him that. And so here's a here's the thing that's um, grinding my gears is that oh. I had all my. I mean, I don't have very much booze. Well, that's a lie. I don't have <laughs> your is, face. What lies are you about to make? Okay. I don't have a lot of like nice liquors or anything because I don't really drink that much liquor but i have like you know a like a bottle of tito's and like a bottle of gin and you know whatever and i have a bottle of margaritaville tequila for when i pull out the the jimmy buffett margaritaville maker Uh yeah and so um i have a couple of those things up on like the bar shelf we have well the other day blaze got on a ladder and every time that happens i'm like why you don't do this what are you doing anytime someone pulls a ladder out in my house i know nothing good is happening so also you're you have one of those houses that has like freakishly tall ceiling so when i hear ladder the the range of possibility (laughs) is really scary (laughs) it's dangerous Yeah. yeah and so he's climbing this ladder and all of a sudden he's like oh i'm taking down all your liquors and putting all only my bourbons up here oh that's a 
scene. fun little risky thing to say on top of a ladder. What a oh. risky game. And so I was like, oh, that's <laughs> fun for you. Um, and I was, of course, I was like, no, yeah, go for it. It'll look better anyway than my weird coffee flavored Patron that I got pressure, peer pressured into buying in college and for some reason still have. So, Ew. I know it's disgusting. So hey, I have something you could put up there. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying is now that it's filled with all this beautiful, nice bourbon bottles, it's nothing like super fancy or anything, but it's like, you know, they're, he just collects different types and stuff. And um, he put all of my nice bottles of nasty, sticky stuff, um, like just kind of down. And so now they're, I ne- know how that's my co- coffee maker. So I, I feel kind of like an alcoholic now because you just walk into my dining room and like there's just like Tito's and then you walk into the kitchen and there's like Margaritaville because we've just kind of spread them out. So I'm trying to figure out how to live in this new environment of Blaze's created. Um, and it's it's good. He's going to kill me for saying this on the show because I was very supportive of it. But, um, you know, it, it, this is no, where I I, I honestly I I also I get it in a way that I don't think even you were. um alluding to because i can't relate to the the bottles i'm sure they're very pretty bottles i know alcohol like the the i know alcohol <laughs> uh, if, I, if, you, if i know anything it's alcohol well i know that like they all like I'm try sure. to outdo themselves with the packaging and it looks very pretty so i'm i am completely positive that the shelving looks nice but as someone who is like a minor control freak about things i would hate to ha- see my things moved and allison loves to play that game because she knows it pisses me off oh that's fun <laughs> We're like, I think her idea of fun is moving something slightly just to see how long it takes me to realize it. And she's shocked every time when I realize it in like 30 like, seconds. Allison, what I, is this? I'm like, Allison, who do you think you are? Like there's, uh, I made our home look lovely. And <laughs> this woman, this witch decides that she wants to move <laughs> things around on the bookshelves a little too often for my liking. Cause uh-huh. I can never... I don't like change, and so I need to eventually prepare for the change. But her favorite thing to do is like fuck things around. Like there's, <laughs> she she left, and there's just like new books I've never seen all over the place, and it's ruining ruining what you know whatever the the feng shui or whatever the term is. It's ruining the vibe of the shelves. I see and what so, you're saying. And I, by the way, I've had like a month and a half with her not here to fix it, and I just won't do it because. I am a control freak, but also very lazy. And now I've gotten used to how it looks. What a combo. Oy, oy, oy. She yeah. wins. She wins, yeah. I guess. <laughs> she wins. And, like, to be fair, I'm saying this even though I basically have control of where everything goes at any time. Like, it's not like he would ever be like, you can't put that there. So I'm complaining in a way that I probably shouldn't be complaining because I'm, I'm a like, person who would say you can't put that there. So I'm, <laughs> I mean, it's nice to know you're the nicer one between the two of us, but... I would certainly find a way to, like, cause a ruckus about it. To be fair, he's not wrong. His bourbon does look nicer than my sticky coffee-flavored tequila. So I think if you're describing yours as sticky, that's all I needed to know. Yeah, you're already on his side. I know. It's okay. Anyway. So, sorry. That was a long tangent, but... um, I'm excited to to get into the tales today, Amethy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, the thing I wanted to say before I get in is I kind of want to, I owe you an apology, and I owe, I think, everyone oh, you an owe apology. Me a lot, a lot of I apology. Know. But so what are we talking about today? Well, so this is a, a while ago now for us, but by the time we're recording this, uh, the Barbara Carlin episode came out this Sunday. So as far as everyone knows, that was the... Oh, Sure the newest episode. So sorry that there's been a few episodes in between, but we are, we've been backlogging and anyway, but I, I just wanted to apologize because so many people on Instagram 
have been so lovely and wonderful and posting like, oh, this is my favorite episode you've ever covered. Like, which is, I don't think we've, I've ever gotten, I don't know if you're being tagged in those things, but I have not been tagged in more things in a long time where people just have like such a kind reception to an episode. And so I was like psyching myself up and I was like, oh man, like everyone really loves it. Like I should go listen to this one and like see what was so great about it. And I got to disagree with everyone. I feel kind of icky about how it got handled. I just feel like I usually am more impartial. And I feel like I was really leaning into the fact that like this person could or very well might be uh, the reincarnation of Anne Frank. And I realized that that's like a big leap when realistically, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of evidence pointing to it according to all the sources I read. And I did, I just for the sake of this like little PSA, I even tried looking up like skepticism and criticism of the other side because, you know, she may very well have been like grifting or like, you know, exploiting the fact that like (laughs) there were Holocaust victims and claiming to be one. And so, um, so I just felt, I just felt bad that I hadn't, address that side of it because i feel like usually i'm i'm pretty good at i guess saying allegedly more often and i feel like i just really leaned into like her definitely being Anne frank versus me saying like oh you know there's a good chance that that's also not true and she could be you know profiting off of saying she's a victim of the holocaust and like so I don't know. I just felt really icky about it. I And like I said, everyone else has been very lovely as far as I know. I mean, I looked at Facebook and then I didn't look anywhere else because I am scared of... Facebook we- will cover it for you. If something bad is me, okay. so you'll find it there. So don't well, worry. Reddit, when, I, when we used to look at that, terrified me. So I don't even want to know what's going on over there. But uh, Or even YouTube. I don't want to know what's going on on YouTube. But at least on the Facebook group, everyone seemed really lovely. I was getting a lot of Instagram reception. So I think I maybe I'm being my own worst critic. And I, I, I hope nobody else feels like I missed the mark, but I was just listening to it and wasn't very proud of the fact that I didn't address like the complete opposite side of how this might have gone, Mm. which is that there's someone who's like tricking everybody and claiming to be a famous person that was like, that had a really traumatic event. Right. It's, I don't know. I just felt really gross about it. So, um, and actually, so I, I, apologized uh on the facebook page i was really feeling so paranoid about it whoa i was just like hey like i thank you everyone for saying nice things but i just feel a little weird and you know i'm just gonna address it on the next episode just for like my own peace of mind but and someone actually uh her name was or their name was georgia i don't know what what your pronouns are so i don't want to assume but um but Georgia was able to also find an article because I was desperate to find um, opposition to information that I had said in the last Barbara Carlin episode. Weirdly, I couldn't find a lot of stuff about her not being considered the reincarnation of Anne Frank. So now I'm kind of freaked out that nobody's addressing the fact that it she might not be maybe some people just think it sounds so wild that they don't even acknowledge it you know what i mean like it's such an extreme thing to say that i wonder if people who don't believe it are like oh that's ridiculous and just yeah i think think it's worth arguing i also think like maybe everyone did what i did and like they just got really into like the supernatural part and totally neglected the like very likely part that maybe she's 
not Anne Frank. So uh, anyway, I, I was I wrote in being like, I'm looking for like sources and like I can't find anything on my end. I typed in like Barbara Carlin skepticism or criticism. It wasn't getting anything. The only thing that someone could find was uh, Georgia, who showed me a Newsweek article that kind of expounds on when she met her, uh, the man that would allegedly be her cousin. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, I found a lot of sources where when he was asked point blank, do you think that this woman is your cousin Anne Frank? And he straight up said yes. So that was the story I ran with last time. But there's this other article in Newsweek where uh, he ended up kind of backing away, it seems, from that Mm -hmm. opinion. Uh, where this is a quote that he said later on when asked about Barbara Carlin. But he said, she regards herself as the reincarnation of Anne Frank. We know her very well. There's nothing I can say to her assertion. It's her story. Uh, There are things in life that we do not know. It could be, it could not be, I don't know. So all of a sudden he seemed more doubtful in this article, Mm -hmm. which thank you, Georgia, for finding this for me. That was the only thing I could find that suggested anyone was having like documented doubts about it. But then I also remember that when this guy originally came out as like, he got a lot of flack. He got a lot of flack to a point where he almost had like a heart attack and he had to go to into hiding. So I don't know if this was after the fact and he felt like he needed to. Anyway, I, this is all totally just for my own peace of mind. And I was feeling really stressed out about it because I feel like if, if I, I felt like if, I'm aware that I missed the mark. Someone out there probably thinks I also missed the mark. I think part of it, though, like I was also kind of playing devil's advocate. I feel like I played that part because we were talking about this and I was like, oh, I'm always so skeptical of these stories. And that kind of opened up the position for you to be like, but also there's this. I feel like we played both sides to each other almost. Like, I feel like I opened up for you to almost defend her position because I was being like, uh, devil's advocate a little bit, which doesn't leave much room for you to be devil's advocate to your own story. I don't well, know. I always, I always, uh, you know, I, th- I, th- I had a fun time talking about it with you. I, and I don't think you did anything wrong. Maybe I didn't do anything wrong, but in my own head, I was just like, this feels kind of icky or like, I feel like, you know, especially cause it's about the literal Holocaust. I just feel like it's never wrong to be, to lean into being more sensitive about that. So I just, I, f- I feel like I, didn't live up to my own standard. So I just wanted to apologize to anyone if they felt weird and I'm maybe in my own head about this, but I just, I didn't feel right not addressing it. Well, once I'm I heard glad back, you, so. you said something for your own, uh, maybe I should, now I'm scared to listen back. I'm like, maybe I should listen to episode. It's, Probably not. <laughs> I, well, I mean, truly I've only, again, I've really like avoided looking too far on the internet, but anything I've been tagged in, people have said such lovely things that I really might be the only person out there, but I still you know, we have a platform and if I felt weird about it, it would have been wrong for me to not say something. So that's just me being probably over the top and dramatic and sorry. That's what all. else is new? What else is new? Okay. So here's uh, speaking of being dramatic. Um, I learned science again last night. Not Christine. again. So here is me trying to. Here you go again. Learning science. <laughs> learning science just to forget in 24 hours and then I'll have to learn it all over again to teach you something <laughs> else in the future. By now, you've probably heard about Burrow, a new kind of furniture company known for timeless designs, durable materials, and details that make life in your space easier. 
Last year, they brought their expertise outside with the launch of their outdoor line, which I love, and now they're adding more must-have pieces to the collection. For example, Dunes offers seating, dining, and lounger options, while Scout is a new folding chair upholstered in a chic woven fabric. And I think I'm going to get two of those for the balcony. Blaze and I love to sit out there in the evenings after Leona goes to bed. And I love the idea of having a good-looking but also extremely useful and comfy place to sit outside. Made of durable materials made for all seasons, weather-resistant teak, stainless alloy, and quick-dry stain-resistant cushions with easy assembly and disassembly this is the perfect thing for your outdoor space they also just launched a new standing desk co-pilot with adjustable height a durable scratch resistant body with built-in storage to make working at home easier than ever i'm in the market for a new desk um so this is definitely going to be my next bookmark and of course there's burrow's legacy seating collections like the nomad and range now available in new colors and m and i that's like the only piece of furniture i think we actually share is our burrow sofa in the podcast department love that thing and that's why we drink listening can get 15% off their first order at burrow.com slash drink. That's burrow, B-U-R-R-O-W.com slash drink for 15% off. Burrow.com slash drink. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. I am so thrilled that we are working with Fast Growing Trees. I spent about an hour and a half on the website trying to decide what I would love to order from their products. They have so many options and you can actually filter it by zones, by growing zones to make sure you know it'll work in your garden. Um, they have everything from massive privacy shrubs and trees to very, very specific flowers. I actually ended up ordering a lilac shrub for my garden. I recently discovered how much I love the smell of lilac and so I I thought, you know what? Perfect chance. Why don't I get some lilac growing in my yard? I think it's going to smell beautiful. And I also got my mom a little lavender plant as an Easter present. Right now, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code DRINK at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code DRINK at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com code DRINK. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Well... Okay, so this actually was suggested by this happened in the same run when I was on Instagram and I saw oh, people great. tagging me and things. Um, this is from Yvette, who suggested that I cover this topic. So thank you for that. Um, this is the stone tape theory. Yes. Oh, you know what this is? Okay. Good. Yes, we've talked about this on the show. If we did, I really didn't know anything about it. I know. I defined it for you because I said something about stone tape theory because I was covering the Dorothea Puente house. And I was uh, like, yes. do you know much about stone tape theory? Because Zach Bagans just briefly mentioned it and you were like, not really. And I just gave a cursory, at least my cursory understanding, which I'm sure is very limited. And then I said, you have to cover this someday. So sorry, Yvette. Okay. I said it first. <laughs> just kidding. Well, Yvette's actually your undercover name. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's my okay. other Instagram. <laughs> so... uh Okay, well, hey, now that you know what it is, I'm basically teaching myself and everyone. No, else no, just vaguely. I only, and it's been a while, so so I'm very excited. I've always wanted you to cover this. Well, I feel like when I explain uh, any theories and like, I don't know if science is the right word, if pseudoscience is involved at all, I feel like I find myself over-explaining. So I'm apo- I'm apologizing in advance if I do that, but I was trying to make sense of it in my own head. So if I sound redundant, it's because 
this is how many times I need to type it's it out. And so like you are it. too stupid to understand. <laughs> it's because I know I am too stupid. I needed to, I needed to type it out like five different ways for it to make sense in my head. So, okay. The stone tape theory, which I keep in my own head calling the stone soup theory. And I need oh. to get it together. <laughs> I keep, you know, stone soup, the show yeah. or the, the play. Like ironically, Stone Soup is a play, and the Stone Tape Theory is named after a play. I'll just say. Wait, seriously? Isn't Stone Soup a book by, like, Tommy DePaula? If it's a book, I've only ever known it as the play I was stuck in in kindergarten. Okay, never You were in the play? Yeah. That's That was, like, that at my school, that was the play. When you got to kindergarten and you got to be in Stone Soup, forget about it. I love that. Well, Stone Soup, I was wrong. It's a European folk story, so I'm sorry that I said it was Tommy DePaula. It's not before people get mad okay your turn um okay here we go so uh the stone tape theory is a theory for residual hauntings and why Mm. they may exist um it's shockingly i don't know if anti-paranormal is the right way to say it but it kind of uh debunks ghosts in a roundabout way well so it's a theory for residual hauntings and it's basically that stone and foundations of a place can absorb energy from events for the place's history. Oh, okay. Uh, so if something particularly tragic happened, uh, that energy might go into the, the minerals of the area and, and it's kind of holding on to those memories. Right. We well, just covered a story about limestone, right? We talked about how mm-hmm. that has... How- Allegedly, you probably discussed this, so sorry. No, you're on top of it. So this, in theory, is especially true for events with really strong emotions or trauma connected to them, and it gives the this energy more power. Mm. Um, so the it would explain why where there are hauntings and really tragic areas, it feels creepier because uh, totally. there's more energy connected to that land. And the trace memories stored in this energy that's been absorbed by the stones can replay themselves on loop under the right circumstances or for <gasps> the right people. Woo. Uh, like I said, it makes sense then why houses are so commonly haunted because so many memories are created here. Sure. So those trace memories could be stored it within the walls of the home uh, pretty easily. It also makes sense why creepier areas with, darker pasts like prisons or uh hospitals it would make sense why they feel so creepy on their Mm -hmm. own because they probably have some darker memories attached to the foundation Mm -hmm. um but this also explains the claim that it explains why if there's a residual haunting in a house you might not actually be seeing a ghost because the stone tape theory claims that these aren't ghosts. They're just images of previous energy playing as if a recorder was stuck on repeat. So I, I feel like, I mean, which isn't that shocking to me. Cause I feel like that's how we've always kind of described residual yeah. hauntings. Like, Oh, it's just like a part of time on, on loop replaying. Yeah. But instead of thinking of it as an actual ghost or a, um, an intelligent, energy think of it more as like fingerprints of someone that was once there and it's just kind of sitting there so uh the concept of the stone tape theory is that the energy being inside the foundations of the building um is often compared to a magnetic tape recorder oh 
and that sensitive people or people who are more connected to the spiritual world are able to witness the playback while others can't. Got it. Which also explains why some people experience these hauntings and others don't. Because if you're not particularly in the mind, in the headspace mm-hmm. to access this information, then you wouldn't even know it was happening in front of you. But other people can all of a sudden see something in a, in a house and it's it's almost like they can see the feedback while others can't. Right. And just like you mentioned, the preferred minerals for the stone tape theory uh, are said to be quartz and limestone because they are considered uh, spiritual conductors. So mm-hmm. if you're in an area with more quartz or limestone, there's a better chance of them more easily absorbing energy from the events that have taken place in that area. Right. Okay. So uh, as for the history of the stone tape theory, the idea goes back to the 19th century with a guy named Charles Babbage. And he is also, fun fact, known as the father of computing because he was credited with the idea of the programmable computer. So, okay. So uh, for those people who are like, this isn't science, well, here's your science. Yeah, he's certainly a, uh, a man of many hats. So, <laughs> so this is back in uh, 1838. And Charles Babbage uh, had a belief that, quote, spoken words leave permanent impressions in the air. Even though you can't hear them, their energy lingers. So Ooh, that just gave me goose cam for some reason. I kind of like it, too. He was saying, like, it's it's the most forceful as it's coming into existence. So you can hear the sounds when it's coming out of your mouth. But over time the sound fades away, but the particles still move on. And so it's always around. So he actually, he said, since the energy continually floats about, people can still tap into and experience these memories if they wanted to, because those words are technically still existing. They're just harder to hear. Interesting. Um, and this, he actually called, uh, in one of his books, he referred to this concept of, you know, spoken words still existing and lingering among us. He said, the air itself is a vast library. (gasps) I thought that was super cool. I was going to make a really stupid joke about having a library card and I'm not going to do that. So, uh, (laughs) I don't even know where I was going to go with it. I was going to just say it on the fly and be like, Oh, and it's not worth our time. Okay. So this concept of, energy you're putting out there or memories of you, even if it's something as common as like, you know, just your own spoken words, if that energy remains in the world forever, if your memories at even such a basic level are never uh, being destroyed, this concept is also connected to psychometry. Do you know what psychometry is? Not really. I feel like you've described it to me before, but I don't remember. It's um, a fancy way of saying like when people can touch an item and they can like oh, they get flashbacks. Yes. Yeah, they, yeah. Uh, so it's when objects have energy or history connected to them, which certain people can access when touching okay. it. So it's a lot, a lot when like certain. I don't know if mediums is the right word or. Yeah, I feel like with mediums, you you sometimes they ask you to bring an item from the, mm-hmm. the loved one or whatever to so they can yeah. 
Yeah. So if, yeah. Or even like, think like Phoebe from Charmed, how she touched something, she would have like a flashback. of I've sister. never seen that show. If you had said Phoebe from Friends, I would have been on board with the understanding. Of, but Of all of the Friends, Phoebe Buffet would have been able to do it, I think. I, I would have believed you. <laughs> it would have been like, oh, I don't remember that episode. But yeah. Well, if you're a Charmed fan, it, one of Phoebe's things was she would get premonitions from touching uh, an item that had some sort I of dark see. history to it. So um, that's truly in the most basic definition that is psychometry and so these concepts kind of connect with each other that memories are always absorbed into things if they're important enough or if they're emotional enough events will always stick with the things around it Mm -hmm. so psychometry uh came about in 1842 it was coined by a guy named J.R. buchanan and he referred to psychometry as the potential for mental fossils Ooh, which i, like I that. think is so cool also interestingly throughout this all of my um research it seemed like a lot of people who um are involved somehow in stone tape theory they all started with like an interest in either geology or archaeology and so i felt like there was kind of this ongoing unspoken theme about everyone referring to these memories as mental fossils Oh, especially when we get to people trying to explain the actual science of this, as well as skeptics trying to explain why it's not technically science, Um, because they were all saying, like, if this were real fossils, where like an event was imprinted onto a rock, we would be able to believe it and measure it and see what's going on. But if these are mental fossils, we can't measure that. So anyway, I just thought that was super fun. That is interesting. And so... At this point, psychometry is a thing that's being discussed. Charles Babbage is talking about how, you know, words always stay in the world and maybe that energy is is always around us. And around this, the time that these two guys are talking about this stuff, this is the first wave of spiritualism. So it's the mid 1800s. So this probably also helped fuel their concepts or at least kept them in the, you know, zeitgeist in the zeitgeist being talked about and following the first wave of spiritualism was the creation of the spr the society of psychical research and by the end of the 19th century a lot of the researchers especially at the spr were trying to scientifically explain much of the supernatural world but one of these concepts was something they ended up calling place memory which i think kind of stems from psychometry so sure if psychometry is being able to touch items and have have a, a flashback of, you know, moments that that object experienced, place memory is a much more general version of that, where if an I, if something happened in a location, by you being in, the, in that location at all, you might be able to um, mm. see residual hauntings and, okay. and, yeah, relive part of that time. The way that I wrote it down is that basically place memory is a much more general version of the stone tape theory where the stone tape theory says like energy is absorbed into the foundations and the minerals of the land. Whereas place memory is more like if something happened here, you might experience it here. Okay. It has nothing to do with the minerals. Um, The idea is that gifted people may inadvertently gain access to old events in this space, especially if that event was tragic or significant. And several SPR members studied this. Um, many believe that items and places all hold past events and 
some thought everybody has access to these. Some people thought only if you're truly gifted. Some people thought if you are putting out intentions, you might be able to experience mm. this. Some people thought, uh, you know, you might not even realize you stumbled upon it, but if you, even if you're unaware of it, you might have done something that lets you gain access to this information. Right. So they were all over the place doing studies on place memory, trying to figure out why some people can see this and why some people can't or what they need to do to open, open. Yeah. To access it. And, uh, place memory remained a theory for decades, but it kind of was untouched for a little bit until the 1940s when it was reignited in the SPR because that was a particular passion of the new president of the SPR. He loved talking about place memory. And so when he became the new president of the SPR in his like literal presidential address to the the organization, (laughs) he like straight up wrote about it. So I will say he must have talked about it enough or brought it back into the zeitgeist like enough that 10 years later, there was actually, um, There was like TV shows discussing place memory. Um, I don't want to take, I don't want to get away from the SPR president too much, but I do want to say in the fifties, there was a whole TV show um, where what it was like all about like spooky stuff. Like it was like a paranormal show. And one of their episodes talked about like this storyline of uh, spies finding out our government secrets because they had been able to record them on like crystals it was like ooh. and then in that same episode i think it was like a piece of rock from mount vesuvius had actually like recorded people's voices when it was lava but so what's interesting is we so we're talking about items uh attaching memory to them but we haven't even discussed like the the idea of the stone tape theory hasn't come into play yet so it's interesting that yeah all the way in the 50s someone actually came up with a storyline of like oh through crystals and lava rocks which we can record memory it's like a porous rock and also a crystal Mm -hmm. like quartz it's really interesting it's just it's just super creepy to think that like later there would be a whole theory about how stones in particular can record memory but we had it had never been discussed yet so fascinating I just wanted to bring that up because they're around the same timeline. So sure. um, I don't know if someone from the SPR was also a TV writer and was like, the president of my club won't shut up about this. So we should write an episode on it. We should definitely uh, do a volcano. You know, that volcano episode we've been planning. I have a plot <laughs> twist. <laughs> I have just the thing. Um, so, okay. So the, the new president's coming in. His name is H.H. Price. And no, it is not Harry Price. I looked. And it's not H.H. Holmes, I'm assuming. It is not H.H. H. Holmes. It's okay. their baby, H.H. H. Oh, Price. What a combo. Um, so, like I said, in his presidential address, he was so invested in reinvigorating the crowd about place memory that he wrote <laughs> uh, He wrote all about it. His address was literally titled Haunting and the Psychic Ether Hypothesis. Wow. And <laughs> thank you for that wow. <laughs> That was me in the audience. Wow. Can you imagine finally becoming like the president of like a really important organization to you and just your, the whole paper you write to welcome yourself in is about the psychic ether, which like, yeah, I I I can imagine. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, as I said that, I was like, yes, that is what Chrissy would do. (laughs) So in this paper about the psychic ether, uh, where he's talking about place memory and 
locations holding on to old energy. He suggests that there's a psychic ether or a realm in between uh, our worlds or between space and time where all traces of all memory and experience are stored. Wow. And so the way that he describes place memory is that there are some people who are more connected or more in touch with themselves. And when they go to locations or touch certain objects, they are able to interact with this realm and pull out traces of history when others can't. Wow. Okay. That's really interesting. Yeah. So uh, he also considered uh, hauntings. I think he was one of the first first people to suggest that oh well then hauntings then are just memories kind of either seeping out of the ether or you're able to unlock them and gain access from this in-between world so when people are seeing a haunting it's more like they're seeing an overlap of two worlds at the same time or um it just implies that really powerful energy that's just kind of being stored there and waiting to be experienced can only happen if you're on, if you're tapping into this in between. Okay. That's cool. So while HH price is claiming that the psychic ether could explain hauntings and residual energy, there's another guy uh, at the same time who's like, eh, I don't know if it's a psychic ether. I feel like it's more energy fields. And okay. so his name was TC Lethbridge. So okay. Uh, TC, I think he was like, ah, the psychic ether is like a fun idea, but I really <laughs> nice want to <try>. like, <laughs> well, he, he's, it sounds like he was actually one of the sources I read said that he seemed like kind of arrogant. So well, I can tell just from this very bullet point, I'm like, like, this guy cute, needs to cute look president of the SPR. My yeah, turn. You did such a good job trying, you know, I guess the, his reasoning was, he was like, I want something a little more scientifically measurable and so he was like uh, the psychic ether is like a good jumping off point but i want to try to find something that you know has more concrete evidence and his idea was that it would be energy fields he okay which i guess is fair i mean we still work with emf fields now to go ghost hunting i would argue maybe the ether is an energy field but you know whatever honestly i'm right there (laughs) with you i think they should have like combined their interests yeah uh, so he thought energy could, he thought that it must be energy fields that are holding this, the memories of past experiences, because he thought that energy could be stored in energy and that memories could be in the EMF fields. His okay. argument was that if people already know that fields of energy exist, even though we can't see them, then it makes sense that they could hold other energy we can't see. Okay, fair. Sure. If there's already invisible energy at play, might as well throw more on there. Sure. Right. It sort of reminds me of like a spectrum of light where like you can only just because you can only see certain parts of light mm-hmm. doesn't mean yeah. that they're not there. So maybe the same with energy. I don't know. I don't know. Hey, the best part about this is it's all a big old theory. So nothing either <laughs> of us say can be wrong, I guess. Right. This is all uh, a hy- hypothesis. If uh-huh. you will. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, so he somewhat bridged his opinion with H.H. Price's ether by Mm -hmm. describing these fields as uh, a surrounding ether. Oh, so now he's like, well, it's sort of an ether. I feel like you could hear him go, "Uh, well, well, technically. (laughs) Well, well, yes. Well, yes. So, yeah. Yeah, totally. I get it. He he described this ether as surrounding significant items or places, but he these items had to be nearby an energy field or something like that. He thinks that, um, or his, his, he 
posits, I guess. Is that the right Posits. That's a great Mm. word. He posits that uh, (laughs) these energy fields are made through vibrations and frequencies. And if certain people are sensitive enough to sense these vibrations or if their vibrations sync up with the energy, then maybe that's how there are these memory transferences that show themselves as residual hauntings. Okay. Okay. So I do like that idea of like, either you give off the right vibe or you don't. And the energy will, (laughs) the environment will let you know if you're worthy enough to show you the ghost. I think that's like such a, um, secret club way of putting it of like either you fit in or you don't (laughs) either you're in either you can see ghosts or you can't it's not up to me (laughs) (laughs) so but i do like the idea of it being based on vibrations and if we happen to sync up or overlap in a certain way it could explain why other why some people can't see these hauntings and others can yeah one of the arguments for why this theory wouldn't hold up about energy fields is because energy needs to con- the energy would need to continually be strong enough to keep playing its events for people. Sure. So like these trace memories, how often can they really show themselves? Yeah, or if they're like, getting weaker over time or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it, the theory or the way that science would explain it is that it would get weaker over time yeah. unless it was like getting charged regularly. True. To, and so. TC came back and said, oh, these energy fields could potentially recharge themselves through ions in the air. Okay. Also. (laughs) (laughs) That's us. We're in the audience being such assholes. Uh, Okay. (laughs) I'm just like, we're coming up with a lot of words that like, I don't think have any full backing. Um, Ions in the air. Got it. On it. This sounds Which, like, like something when you when people try to set market like a, a hair dryer, like it ionizes in the uh-huh. air, and you're like, "What is that? It sounds cool." It's I like guess. maybe you're telling the truth, but I don't feel confident in my own understanding of the word <laughs> "ion" to know what you're talking about. And therefore, I'm going to be the asshole because I don't understand. And then I'll probably buy it because I'm still convinced. Yeah, I still <laughs> want to see what this energy feels all about. Uh, and then, of course, we wouldn't see a ghost, and he'd be like, it's because your vibes yeah, aren't Yeah, I'm not landing. in the fucking club. <laughs> <laughs> so he said that, uh, so the energy could keep showing itself if this if these energy fields are able to recharge themselves with the ions in the air. And I think he was also saying something about, like, gifted people's energy. If, if you're exchanging vibrations with this thing, it, you could almost charge these spaces yourself to be able to see the playback. Okay. I see. So you're, you're bringing the energy into it as a gift. Oh, yeah. Person. Almost like me. I wonder if it was like, Oh, the memory or the traces are always kind of at 1%. But if you walk in and have the right energy, you kind of charge it a full like, blast to see yeah. it. And then it, and then it dies until the it dies away until the next person with a lot of energy right. can show up and charge it. Okay. I don't totally understand, but I I dig the idea. It's certainly original. Yeah. So through this idea, TC states that if all of this is true, then hauntings aren't actually ghosts, but recorded images second time. I feel like they're all landing at the same place. It's they're just trying to all figure out the how. Well, they're all trying to have their own unique approach, I guess. So exactly. They got and- it. He also believed uh, he added on to the concept of like, I think he was actually the, maybe the predecessor to the official stone tape theory because he's the first one to really address minerals in his idea. Aha. So he believes that certain minerals and water and really anything that has something to do with nature or getting back to like 
the the original roots of our world, they increase the power of an energy field. Therefore, your chances at a memory being stored there or being easily accessible f- to show up as a haunting, um, they're more likely to happen if you if this energy or this event happened around a place with heavy minerals. Okay. Which I guess that makes sense if like an, an a memory is coming back to nature that it would be eas- more easily absorbed within nature. Yeah. Uh, this would also explain why spiritual vortexes exist because oh. if they're usually around streams and woods and dirt with natural minerals in it, then that's just uh, like a, a breeding ground for storing trace memories of spiritual moments. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Uh, he also says that he thinks water uh, is a big conductor for spiritual energy, which is why he thinks a lot of places that are usually really dark and damp um, have a lot of hauntings because he thinks the water in those areas is keeping the energy more Ooh, alive. That's interesting. What's funny, though, is he then, I don't know if it's really funny, but I was like, oh, I have, what a weird offshoot thought. He thought that um, because water molecules are, might be what makes these, uh, these trace memories accessible, he assumed that humid areas would probably be more powerful or able to store more memories. And I just, my first thought was like, shouldn't florida then be like so fucking haunted legitimately was just thinking huh swampy places like florida must be i guess if you think i know i was gonna say there are a a lot of spooky things going on in the deep south but i also think there's another reason for that so (laughs) i was gonna say yeah um, there's a lot of possibilities here i don't know if it's just the water in the air that's causing that but Mm. okay i can't be helping i guess sure sure uh, but so that also, that makes me think, though, I, this isn't in the notes, but it makes me think, like, so in spaces with more water, shouldn't things be much more haunted to us if water is what stores all this stuff? Like, shouldn't, like, the beach be a fucking nightmare? Or like Maybe there's not as much happening on the beach, but if you're in, say, like, Alcatraz, shout out to my shirt. That's true, surrounded by water and rocks. Surrounded by water and rocks and where a lot of emotions happen. Maybe that is the combo. Like maybe It would a, explain why it's one of the most haunted places. Maybe if there's a beach where a lot of horrible things happen, then that might be more of a... I also then wonder what his thoughts were on like day-by-day weather. Like if there's a storm outside, does it... Ooh, does it increase the Yeah, the likelihood. Oh. Or because... I would think like somewhere like Alcatraz where there's a lot of water at all times surrounding a place that had a lot of traumatic events. That makes sense as its own standstill continuous haunting. But like, what about a place that doesn't seem to really be haunted? If there's all of a sudden a thunderstorm, is that enough water and enough energy to almost bring out some like Mm. more faded memories, you know, like, so would not haunted places become kind of haunted? That's a good point. And there are also a few very um, haunted spots in places like Arizona that are deserts. So I wonder. I Well, I wonder the minerals in the dirt, maybe. Ooh, okay. I don't know. I just, it's something to think about. Or like, what about a blizzard when there's snow everywhere? Does everything become slightly more haunted? Right. Does it snow could... count? Yeah. <laughs> if it's frozen. <laughs> right? This is us in the audience when they're like, any questions? And we're like, <laughs> what about snow? <laughs> what if I spit on you a hundred times? Do you become more haunted? I'm confused. <laughs> Let's try it out. 
Anyway, I just, it, it was an interesting conversation of like, well, water is pretty darn accessible. Like if, am I more likely to have a, a spooky experience after I get out of the shower? You know, like I, it's like, yeah, such like how much water do you need? Right. What the What's water the limit? Be? Yeah. Anyway, that's very interesting. A lot of, it's a very offshoot. silly, very silly offshoot conversations, but yeah. still I think valid because I feel like we're really skimming the surface here not to mm-hmm. play on words here with water but uh i i definitely have things i'd love to ask him yep so he also thought just like how water might bring out more energy he was afraid that uh a lot of places might snowball into really terrible places if there was already one negative experience or a negative memory attached to that place because he felt like people could feed off of that energy so in a place that maybe something really dark happened or something really creepy happened he was afraid that history might repeat itself and there might be darker things that happen there or let's say there's a place where people um go to maybe you know unalive themselves Mm -hmm. then maybe that energy would linger and people would go there and feel particularly sad. Maybe there would Mm be a a higher likelihood of other people having some sort of ideation in that Mm. space. He was afraid it would become a snowball effect that events would affect other events. Right. Okay. Okay. Which is an interesting thought. I hadn't thought about scary thought too. scary thought. Yeah. But it would, it would make sense too. Why there's a lot of really creepy, creepy places that you look around and you're like, I don't know why this place feels so fucking creepy. And you just don't feel good (laughs) you're like something my mood is affected and something could have happened there that now is affecting you so in a way he was kind of right of like i can see that events. like i said uh a lot of people in this world also happen to be like archaeologists or things like that that happen to be tc because he was a former archaeologist this explains why he often combined his his beliefs of like energy and memory traces why he would put them back in nature or use minerals as the way to describe what was going on. In 1961, he ended up writing his first book about this stuff called Ghost and Ghoul, and it's about memory being stored and being able to be accessed via energy. And he ended up writing other books as well, but in his writings, people can see that uh, TC ended up getting his information, or he cited sources including the SPR, um, H.H. Price, So we know where he got all of his beliefs or his understanding from. We know that he was looking to them for information. And interestingly, he ends up becoming inspiration himself. Mm. So 10 years after his first book, uh, a play by the BBC was on television as a Christmas ghost story. Yep. And it was called The Stone Tape, not The Stone Soup. It's called the stone tape. <laughs> I can see your gears in your brain just going, okay, we're on track. I almost said stone soup at like full speed ahead and my brain had like had to like go into like automatic braking, be like, tape. Oh man. But so uh yeah, so TC got his inspiration from like the SPR and the thoughts of like the early eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, came out with his book, and only ten years later, I'll because they're so close to each other, a lot of people believe that he was the inspiration for the BBC play, The Stone Tape. Okay. And that is where the, the obviously the name of the theory comes from. It comes from the name of a play that had to do with this concept. Mm. And so The Stone Tape, it came out in 1972. And a very, very, 
unbelievably quick summary is just that scientists move into their new facility and during renovations they find out that there's a stone staircase and the stone staircase is very haunted it's almost as if it has absorbed the past events of this house and so now they're experiencing all the spooky stuff i like that i kind of want to watch it it's apparently on youtube it looks very cheesy so 70s um, baby i literally think the like their way of special effects back then was they put up a projector on the stone staircase in the movie and they were like okay that's the ghost pretend that it's haunted (laughs) so this was the first time that people had really seen an an example other than that one time there was a tv show back in the 50s about lava rocks and all that that seems to have been forgotten to time and i stumbled upon that random fact and i was like oh so so (laughs) technically technically the stone tape wasn't the first example of it's true a haunted stone we should be talking about like these lava rocks and the theory should have been named after that but whatever So uh, up until this point in 1972, place memory or uh, hauntings being recordings of past events in a location, it was very broadly just considered place memory. But the stone material in this movie being what held energy is kind of what created the stone tape theory. Okay. Where they were like, oh, like we can now pinpoint it on minerals and rocks and things that have to do with nature. And that could be why these things are happening. Even though this movie is officially what coined the theory as the stone tape theory. um, And it it came out after TC had written his books. Right. Um, Many still credit TC for the term. It's like he almost like retroactively was given the credit for coming up with the term stone tape theory. Okay. Because uh, he was the first person to incorporate minerals into his theory and things like that. So I see people are like, oh, stone tape theory, kind of like what that guy TC was up to. And so he ends up getting the title, even though it had he never mentioned stone tape theory. You know what I mean? Right. I get what you're saying. Cool. Since this time, that's the history of it, but since this time, stone tape theory has been a point of discussion in the paranormal world, especially since the 70s when this movie came out and now there was a coined term for it. Um, People also are regularly looking into place memory and just trying to learn about that. But as for the stone tape theory itself, it's been around for about 50 years as something that people talk about in the paranormal world, as well as in theoretical science, because those folks are skeptical. (laughs) So yeah, I have a feeling. So as for uh, those who are, before I tell you what the skeptics think, I did find some people who are based in science and were also open-minded to the concept of the stone tape theory being a thing. Um, I'll tell you a really good quote in a second, but I found this one example that blew my mind. I think this is a paranormal investigator who um, was like a guest writer on the website. I I hadn't seen any of her stuff before, and I, I just really like this idea of how to explain stone tape theory in today's world uh she said that stone tape theory is more or less telepathy interaction or tapping into the collective mind to see memories of a place and then she used the example of smartphones as stone tape theory so she said think of a a smartphone as being your mind. It stores all of your information, all of your pictures, all of your memories, videos from yesterday, you know, your thoughts from your conversations from a couple weeks ago, your nudes. blah, 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 your nudes. It's like your smartphone is your mind. And then 
the rest of this is just one big quote because I did not want to butcher this, but I just loved how it was written. However, your smartphone has much greater reach than that, being much greater reach than just outside of your mind. Sure. You can upload memories to your cloud for your own personal storage, or you can share those memories on social media for others to access through their smartphones or their minds. All your friends on Facebook can access your memories and even a little data. Um, and if your security settings aren't great, even though even those that aren't your friends can access it too. So when you mm -hmm. arrive at a location, the location itself could trigger your unconscious mind to look up information that's been there before, kind of like Googling information or looking up someone else's social media for info. And that information is in a format that relates to our psychic sense. And all of a sudden there are ghosts appearing. So it's just almost like you're like airdropping information to yeah, different you're like phones. pulling it from the cloud, but it's a yeah. kind of a mental cloud, a psychic cloud, <laughs> a psychic cloud. It was just, it was such an interesting way to explain like it to that. people it, of like, yeah. Oh, even though if it's not your memories, you can still access it. If someone else has been there and like left their Bluetooth yeah. on, you know, left so. the it looks, it's like, it's like a, uh, a physical, physical explanation of it. Yeah. I just thought it was such a such a great way to explain it. Also, there was a podcast called Ghost Hunting in New England, and they actually interviewed a theoretical physicist about stone tape theory. Ooh. And he seemed very open. I, I don't know if it was like he knew he was a theoretical physicist coming onto a paranormal podcast, <laughs> but he understood the assignment. He was very on board to at least play devil's advocate. This is a quote from him about it. By the way, a lot of this is now just about to be quotes because I didn't want to butcher what scientists sure, were saying. Yeah. Um, so when asked about stone tape theory and if it were possible, uh, he seemed like he could be swayed either way based on evidence, but this is what he said. When someone records anything digital, they manipulate tiny bits of the magnetic field on tape. When Talking about how um, the stone tape theory is similar to magnetic tape recording. Mm-hmm. When someone records anything digital, they manipulate tiny bits of the magnetic field on the tape. So someone can come along and replay all those bits of information. Well, stone has tiny bits of metal, iron, etc. So in some way, the information imparted on those stones can be replayed. Something, oh. could, something could potentially be imprinted on a stone and replayed. And if you're going to say it could happen to stones, it could happen to crystals or anything that has a chemical or atomic configuration to it. Anything configurable can store information. Love and that. so I don't know if he was fully saying yes, but he was saying like, I mean, that could be the science that He's could be the way leaving we... the possibility open. Yeah, I, I, yes. I appreciate that. And then he also came up with this really great analogy of like uh, back in the day when you would record um, on magnetic tape instead of just like recording on your phone or something, <laughs> but like recording uh like when you would have a have a cassette tape and you would want to record on top of music that already existed. Yeah. He said one way that he looks at stone tape theory is that if you keep recording on top of old songs and then you want a new song, so you record on top of that one, you record on top of that one, there's always going to be little traces left of previous <gasps> songs. And if you listen oh. hard enough, you might be able to hear old songs playing through. A note or two. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so That's he was like, so that might be what, stone tape theory is when you see a residual haunting they're just traces left underneath what's already well uh, underneath what's happening right now that is so, so fascinating 
I had never seen it in so many analogies, but every single one of them made me think about stone tape theory differently, which was so fun. Uh, There was another open-minded devil's advocate scientist uh, named Don Robbins, which actually now I'm kind of terrified that this might be the same person from that interview because his name was also Don. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) it might be the same person or there's two people named Don out there in the world of science who are okay with this. Um, (laughs) But scientist Don, he suggested that um, when it comes to the idea that crystals might be able to store information, he said that, quote, Defects in the crystal lattice of minerals allows for reservoirs of energy and the Mm. crystal's architecture creates a vortex of energy at the heart of the crystal where memory traces can be stored. These traces could be accessed by producing a resonating sound wave or just physical pressure by something uh, such as walking on the ground. So even if you're that would explain why if you're walking in like a desert or if you're walking in a cave or an abandoned place, if you're just underneath your shoes if you're accidentally crushing minerals that might have energy within them you could be releasing memories well this dawn seems a lot more open like he was like this is how this works i feel like the other guy was like (laughs) potentially it could happen i feel like this guy's much more uh i would love to see the dawn's duel about me too memories within crystal formations So now, uh, real quick, before I'm done, I'll talk about the, um, the skeptics uh, mm-hmm. that I, or at least the arguments against stone tape theory. So like I said, a, I'm just going to do a quick science recap about magnetic tape recording, just so people know what that's about. Because I tried to learn what magnetic tape recording is, and that was rough. Oh boy. By the way, I want to give a shout out for these last two parts. There were, they were excellent, um... I don't, I don't know if debunking or, um, skeptical, I don't know what the right word is, but these two articles were so good at trying to give true scientific understanding to what stone tape theory could be or why stone tape theory does not work. Like, I feel like they just did such a good job of trying to break it down of like, well, if this is real, then this would have to be real, but also it might not be real because this isn't this. So shout out to the ghost in my machine and Higgy pop, which Higgy pop fucking nailed it. And (laughs) (laughs) both of them, both of them, I was like, I don't even know how to break these down into other notes. So I'm just going to be reading up excerpts from sure these websites because I like, they were just so, perfectly written nice um but ghost in my machine tried to explain why stone tape theory is similar to magnetic tape recording and in the most basic way possible to explain how sound is recorded on tape because trust me i'll never truly know (laughs) basically you're converting electrical signals or your audio you're converting electrical signals into magnetic energy and so the the magnetic energy imprints on the tape, which is covered in magnetic particles, which I guess is to absorb the energy. And if you ever want to play it back, you take that imprint and convert it back into electrical energy. Oh, interesting. I don't know if you follow that. Yeah, I, I mean, barely as, much as, it. as much as one can, I think. Yeah, sure. So when it comes to stone tape theory, um, it's kind of the same concept where energy from an emotional event imprints information onto an object and then it can be played back as energy again. So it's just reconverting itself into energy. Got it. Which I feel like I've said that a thousand times in this episode, but I 
need to keep saying it so I remember what's going on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> everyone else is just here for the ride while I teach myself. <laughs> so what makes uh, magnetic tape recording and stone tape theory additionally similar is that if energy is best or that the energy is best absorbed through minerals. So just like magnetic tape actually has magnetic particles on it. Um, minerals such as quartz and limestone are best for energy storing. Okay. And here's a quote. This is due to magnet. This is actually a quote from one of the Dons. Um, this is said to be due to magnetic components and rocks, making them similar in nature to videotape, which is also magnetic. So it makes sense why the two of them have been compared so many times. But as for, um, the skeptics out there, the main thing that they say right off the bat is, well, it's unfair to call stone tape theory a theory because it's not a scientific theory. And uh, it's more of a whimsical pseudo pseudoscientific idea. And it's rude. I, yeah. Well, they were like, well, what is a theory? And um, there was one uh, scientist, I think a scientist, I'm pretty sure she's a scientist, uh, named Sharon Hill. And she did like a whole 24, 25 minute long video on YouTube describing stone uh, tape theory and was basically like a theory is a well-tested model that you can use to predict future observations. And because you can't really ever predict residual hauntings sure. immediately out the window before we even get into minerals and all this stuff. Sure. Um, some of the explanations for how this theory works from people who are believers in this or want it to be true one day, or maybe we just haven't figured out how to totally mm -hmm. use stone tape theory, but the arguments for it so far have been energy fields, different realms, frequencies, crystal science, and then also uh, quantum entanglement, just like a yes. smattering of us. Just throw that in there. Just a, just a, a spooky entanglement. <laughs> and the despite all of these actual scientific concepts being used as potential explanations, the main issue for stone tape theory is that there is no measurable way to record, store, retrieve energy. There's just no way to do it. So there's no way for us to collect data on this. It, it's all mainly a guess because at least with magnetic tape, there is something that you can see after the fact, but there's yeah, no way yeah, to... Yeah, which makes sense. No way to collect emotions and events i understand yeah some believers argue well energy can't be destroyed so even if we haven't figured out a way to do it yet there is a way to store and capture and retrieve these things but uh the counter argument is human emotions and human events aren't in that same playing field even if energy can be destroyed or can't be destroyed emotions and events were never categorized as energy so okay, that's fair Another skeptical look at it is that uh, several notoriously haunted places are on top of sites with no special mineral properties. So mm. if we're saying that you have to have certain minerals there holding energy so that a residual haunting happens, you got to be able to explain things like Gettysburg, which is incredibly haunted, but the leftover rocks that are there have minimal quartz, minimal limestone. Uh -huh. So how is it that something so powerful it was almost like they were pro ghost for a second because they were like, "Well, it is super <laughs> haunted, Gettysburg, but... which um, is no, famously not in Florida, on it, and also like not covered in snow or showers." I'm hmm, interesting. I'd just explain yourself, is what I'm saying. It's just dirt over there, but um, some believers even say that stone or rock, maybe 
they can capture memories through some sort of geomagnetics that we don't know about, which sounds like a, I don't know if geomagnetics is a real thing, but it feels a little <laughs> like a conspiracy theory. It does um, a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, but so when people say like, oh, well, through geomagnetics, maybe there's a way that like, you know, all the minerals are all interacting with each other and we're unaware of it. But the counter argument to that is that, quote, Earth's magnetic field is not strong enough or precise enough to imprint a distinct sound or image into existing crystals, which mm. fair enough, I guess. Yeah. Also, another argument uh, about how hauntings could exist, but not through stone tape theory is that these could all just be optical illusions and people have been primed about what they might see because they know they're going into a haunted place. So all of a sudden they're seeing things that doesn't have anything to do with stone tape theory. It would just be basic psychology of like being primed into the experience. Okay. Um, also there was, this was, this is a list of several, uh, questions that I found on several different sources. I just kind of put them all together. But sure. one of the bigger arguments with scientists is that the following questions remain unanswered and they are very valid, quantifiable questions that stone tape theory should be able to answer. But since okay. we don't know these answers, we can't even begin a scientific framework to study this. So some of the questions I found all across the internet were how do these images, like truly how do the images get recorded into stone? Mm-hmm. Why do some events get recorded and others don't? Like, what's the, what's the limit? What's the line between yes or no? Mm-hmm. How do these images truly play, like, mm-hmm. back to people? How often do they? Do they die out? Um, and then rocks and buildings, if they can remain for hundreds of years but eventually erode, do the memories erode? Or mm-hmm. as something gets older and creepier, does that give it more power be- and it ends up being stronger while things erode? Why do we only see an apparition and not its surroundings as well if it's a whole memory? Yeah. Which is super yeah. interesting to me because, like, if you're watching, a like, a home video, you see the whole background. You don't just see a person standing there. Right. Um, and then can memories get overwritten if something else happens? Or do, let's say, two traumatic things happen in one space. Do they start playing on top of each other kind of oh. like how music recording on top of each other you'd still hear different traces of both or does one wow. cancel the other out because one's more powerful so i just thought those were all maybe not all of them are quantifiable questions but they are certainly solid valid. questions yeah um so then the i think the rest of this is all is a whole quote from higgy pop and that's the rest of my notes but i bring it home higgy pop <laughs> Higgy pop. If you don't put that on a goddamn shirt. (laughs) Okay. So this was just one big quote kind of explaining some other questions that scientists would have about stones and energy holding on to old memories. Okay. One issue with stone tape theory is the energy source, real energy in order for the human eye to see something, there needs to be a source of energy. A stone can absorb energy if the sun shines on a rock all day and the rock gets warm. And even when the sun has gone, the rock will slowly radiate that heat over time. Even molten rock emits a glow or constant light, but it doesn't project a replay of the sun moving through the sky over the course of the day. So interesting. I thought that was super smart of like, okay, like that's a memory and we're not seeing it. We can feel it with our hands. There's traces of it. 
but it's which, not. by the way, kind of proves psych- psychometry. If you can touch the rock and feel the experience of the heat, then right. It almost psychom. What about psychometry, where you touch it and you say, "Oh, I see this person's uh-huh. hair color and stuff." I feel like you're right. Kind of disproves that, but it does prove that yeah, it still retains. Yeah. signs of that memory that's so and, interesting um and then uh higgy pop keeps going on with meanwhile in a cold dark basement the stone of a building would hold very little energy which by the way is interesting because if if it would hold very little energy but basements are some of the creepiest fucking places then that... and maybe because they're all wet you know uh-huh maybe i don't know uh meanwhile in a cold dark basement the stone of the building would hold very little energy in the form of heat Without a sense of energy, I cannot replay or project anything stored in it. The bigger problem is that after the energy is released, it would be gone. Perhaps if there's enough energy captured in the stone, it could manage to replay itself a few times, but eventually the energy would run out and the stone would no longer be able to play. This is also where the stone tape and real magnetic tape differ. One can replay itself multiple times, whereas a stone might not be able to. The theory further falls apart when you realize that ghost hunters don't limit stone tape theory to just stone. Many also believe that other natural materials such as wood, the ground, even water can hold memories. It's part of a wider theory called place memory. Wood and soil holding memories is understandable as a hypothesis because they are static at a location, but water doesn't make any sense. So this also bunks. This bunk debunks TC who thought that water was all over the place. Yep. Yep. But water doesn't make any sense. While flowing water is often said to stir up paranormal activity, it's hard to understand how this would work in terms of stone tape theory. When water molecules in the liquid would be flowing away, uh, only to be replaced by others. So if water holds a memory, but then it goes down the river, that memory has gone. So yeah. how could it keep replaying itself? I, und- I do understand the skepticism there. Yeah. Anyway, all of that to say, those are the the main arguments against it, which are all very valid. And valid. that is the history uh, and detailing of the stone tape theory. That was so fascinating, Em. I have been wondering if you had covered this for a long time. So I'm very excited that you did. It was a full hour of notes on my end. So I feel a little embarrassed, but it was, I'm sure it could have been dwindled down and I repeated myself a million times, but honestly, I needed it. Um, so maybe someone else did, but <laughs> no, I anyway, think, that I was, think it, that was my best attempt. Certainly. I, I think it was very well done and it, it, it needed to be restated a couple of times, I think, because it is kind of a complex thought. I think it was, it's not, I feel like the concept is pretty obvious. It's just residual hauntings, but I feel like the, the how of every person's mm-hmm. theories kind of throws me off. Cause some people, I don't know. Yeah, and then when you get into debunking it, it adds more complex explanations. There's nothing scarier than having to teach someone something you don't know anything about. So I just (laughs) end. Well, welcome to our job. I know, but I just like if I'm ever repeating myself a lot and even you, the listener, is thinking like, oh, my God, shut the fuck up. Know that I it was necessary for me to keep saying it because I'm teaching myself as I'm teaching you sometimes. So, well, I think you did a great job. Thank you. And I'm glad you finally got your stone tape theory episode. I'm very pleased. Um, and I think it's very fascinating. And we, I talked about in the Dorothea Puente episode, I don't remember which one it was, but that was one of the main theories there. So if anyone Mm -hmm. wants to go listen to that, you can find it on M's list of episodes that they put on our website. Thank you. (laughs) 
I feel like I, I, I'm sure it doesn't get overlooked, but in my head it gets overlooked all the time. So thank, I'll take the credit. Thank you. You said that a few weeks ago. You're like, it never gets enough credit. So I'm trying to I'm trying to shout it out as much as I can here. Ah, well, um, thank you. I appreciate it. You know when you've got the holidays, the new year, and then all of a sudden it's sort of back to the grind? Especially if you run a small business, it can be really hard to get back into the swing of things. But Stamps.com is here to make that a little bit easier for you. Stamps.com streamlines all your mailing and shipping to turbocharge your operational efficiencies. For 25 years now, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses. Whether they're mailing out checks, invoices, legal documents, books, podcast branded koozies, maybe that's just us, or anything else. Get access to the USPS and UPS mailing services you need to run your business right from your computer anytime, day or night. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. And with rates you can't find anywhere else, like up to, get this, 89% off USPS and UPS, how could you go wrong? We have loved Stamps.com for years, not quite 25, but since we started the podcast, which was 2017, and we could not get by without it. I remember there were days where we didn't have Stamps.com, those I call the dark ages, and I was hand shipping everything and driving it on my lunch break to the post office. It was all very hectic. Stamps.com, I do it straight from my house, and it makes my life a trillion times easier. Keep your mailing and shipping moving at the speed of your business with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code DRINK for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code DRINK. It feels very fitting that Juniper is currently sitting on my lap uh, because we all want our cats to be healthy and happy because when they're happy, we're happy. But because we're not mind readers, we don't always know when they're unwell. And in my experience, cats are not the most, you know, open when it comes to sharing their woes. And there goes Juni, literally jumped right off me. So helping us keep tabs on our cat's health is just one reason you should use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's ultra absorbent crystals trap odor instantly. No more cat bathroom smell, thank God. Pretty Litter's super light crystal base also minimizes mess and dust. Plus, the crystals last up to a month, which means less scooping and fewer trips to the garbage can for Blaze, because that's his job. Here's the coolest thing about Pretty Litter. It changes colors to help monitor early signs of potential illness in our cats, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues. And Pretty Litter ships free right to your door in a small, lightweight bag. Pretty Litter has changed the game. The litter box is right near Leona's room, and so it is very delightful to not have that litter smell all the time when she's taking a nap. Plus, we can rest easy knowing that Juniper and his little kidneys are healthy. Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. Go to prettylitter.com slash ATWWD and use code ATWWD to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash ATWWD, code ATWWD to save 20%. prettylitter.com slash ATWWD, code ATWWD. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I have a story for you. I'm going to teach you about something that I learned about on TikTok. Yay. No way. Look at you, you fun little mom. Listen, do you, I know when I first start, uh, was when I first started having a baby, when I, when the baby was born, <laughs> I remember you saying something like, well, now you're never going to be caught up on all that. All I do is sit on TikTok because if I'm up breastfeeding, if I'm up like doing anything, it's the only thing I can do that's not like too mind numbing that I'm going to fall asleep. So I watch TikTok all the time. So I jokes on you, Em. I, I am I totally very eat my words. Oh, so, okay. I uh, don't eat my words. <laughs> you took it back immediately. <laughs> um, so there's an account called Rob and Haley. And uh, so there's this TikToker who has a podcast called Inhuman, a true crime podcast. Mm. And uh, they covered the 
1976 Chowchilla Kidnapping. Do you know about this at all? I've never heard the word Chowchilla in my life. No. Oh, well, it's a town in California. So is it? Yeah. So Chowchilla Kidnapping. This is um, the largest mass kidnapping in U.S. history. What? Yeah. And I had never fucking heard of it. I don't even think in my head I it occurred to me that there could be a mass kidnapping because right I, I feel like that's like I don't it's know just I feel a like wild that's, concept yeah I feel like that's I don't know I feel like the kidnapping a lot okay whatever I never it never even occurred to me well I hadn't heard about it either so then when I saw this TikTok I was like well okay I gotta dig into this so I uh, thankfully think think. F- thanks to this TikToker, was able to uh, find a lot more information and uh, use their podcast, which was really helpful. And I'm going to cover it for you today. So the 1976 Chowchilla kidnapping. I also have some photos that I want to send you as part of this to just give like, oh, okay. uh, so we're not at the photos yet. But when I do send them, I can send them to the group chat. And then maybe we can um, put them on Instagram when this episode comes out. Because okay, cool. Yeah, I'm opening up my text now. Sweet, because it deserves some visual uh, explanation here. Cool. So this story takes place in Chowchilla, California in 1976, more specifically July 15th at 4 p.m. Okay. Middle that sounds like it's right after the school, right after school time, right? Yes. And it, it is July, but oh. it's summer, summer school. Oh, okay. Okay. So school bus driver Frank Edward Ray, also known as Ed, was driving 26 students from uh, who went to Dairyland, by the way, great name, Dairyland <laughs> Elementary School. <laughs> Sounds like Dairyland. a made up name. Sounds like where I get my best ice cream. <laughs> yeah, isn't that? Yeah, that's a thing. Okay. So Ed, the bus driver, was driving 26 students from Dairyland Elementary School home from a summer class trip to the Chowchilla Fairgrounds swimming pool. So they were all on this field trip for summer school uh, at the swimming pool. The ages of the kids were between 5 and 14. Oy. And Yeah, and there were 26 of them. As they're driving down the road, suddenly a van pulls up and blocks the path of the bus. The van's windows were painted black. Yeah. Ray stopped the bus and was confronted by three masked men's, men's, three masked men with guns. Oh, God. The man held, so the guy, the main guy with the gun held the gun to Ray while another got into the driver's seat of the school bus and took over driving. And the third man followed behind in the van. Oh my God. Already fucking terrifying. Well, also like, I can't even, first of all, I can't imagine being a child seeing this and like you're, Mm -hmm. but then on top of that, imagine being Ray being like, if I fuck up, a child could get hurt. Like, yeah, it's it. You're suddenly like the only. I get into this later too, but you're the only adult with yeah. 26 children, and you're, or at least the only adult not involved in you know committing this crime. Um, yeah. So, uh, the men. So it's kind of confusing. His last name is Ray, but his first name is Ed. So, if I Ed mix Ray. those up, it's because he's been quoted as Ray and Ed. So, the kidnapper drove the bus to a secluded offshoot uh, of the Chowchilla River where another van was waiting and the men then forced Ed and the children into both vans at gunpoint yeah and they forced the children to jump from the bus into the vans so that they wouldn't leave behind any footprints on the ground (gasps) 
Isn't wow. So it's very well thought out too. So like, yeah, they, they, it's very planned. Yeah. Oh my God. They then drove the vans around for 11 hours with Ray and the kids in the back. And just Whoa. like a side note here inside the vans, the kidnappers had constructed, constructed these makeshift jail cells by installing wood paneling and painting the windows black. Like I mentioned earlier, <gasps> so nobody could see in or out. There was no air ventilation. There was no food, water, or toilets. I was going to say 11, 11 hours for like children and like, yeah, you don't get to go to the bathroom. Oh my God. Here's the first picture. Um, this is just a picture of inside the let's see if this goes through and these pictures are all from uh 48 hours and they were featured in a cbs news article so just to give credit where credit is due so here's oh a picture God. of the inside of these vans so it looks so i for a second was thinking jail cells like individually where they somehow fit all 26 into their own individual cells it's oh, no. basically it's they walled up everything in the van so they couldn't see where they were going and right it's, it's like it's one, one big, big box room. yeah exactly and there were two vans so they split the kids and and ed up into these two vans i um, almost like can you imagine being in the truck without ed and like that's, that's really that looking too. for an adult I was thinking that too. You're in the one without an adult in it. I mean, all of it's terrifying. And imagine being Ed, not being in the other van, being like, "What is <sighs> happening to those fucking kids?" Those other kids. I mean, the pressure alone is is this, just. This dude's already a superhero in my eyes. Yes, yes, and he does um, become obviously okay. Well, well, we'll talk about it. So they drove around for eleven hours in these horrible vans, and they ended up 100 miles north at a rock quarry in Livermore, California, where they finally stopped. The bus driver, Ed, and the children were taken out of the van one by one and sent down into a hole in the ground. This gets so batshit crazy. They soon learned they were inside of an old moving truck that the kidnappers had buried 12 feet underground. What? Yeah. Wow, that's beyond anything I thought of when I, I said, like, oh, wow, they are very well thought out. They literally buried a fucking truck. Buried a truck. I'm sending you a picture of like the underground. Uh, this is what they were led into. <gasps> um, oh, it's so scary. So I mean, freaking creepy. I didn't imagine it looking nice, but like just putting an image to it. It's just awful. Oh, my yes. God. Are those toilets, another... I assume? Yep. Here's a picture of the toilets. So um, to give you a little bit of detail oh. here. The children found containers filled with water for them to drink. They also found boxes of cereal, peanut butter, and loaves of bread. And the kidnappers had installed makeshift toilets in the wheel wells of the truck. And um, I'm going to send you pictures here. They also installed... Uh, so here's the, the water jugs. Also pretty gross. But at least, at least there was that, I guess. And then here are two of the... Or here are pipes. They had two ventilation pipes that were running from above ground to kind of bring oh air God. into the truck and like um, not even great air and like the water jugs are dirty and yeah um, it's the whole it's thing's dirty gnarly yeah i can't wait to find out what the fuck the motive was for isn't all it of this. just nuts like i can't uh, even imagine like why would you need all those children why couldn't you just take the bus driver or i mean right there's Ugh. a lot of questions. I'm so, so confused. This is where they end up, these poor kids and Ed. So Ed tried his best to keep the kids calm. Again, like we said this already, but he was the only adult. There were a couple kids who were in their early teens, so like 13, 14, but most of the kids were younger, the youngest being five years old. Um, and he 
tried his best to just keep everybody calm. Um, after being in this hole underground for almost 12 hours, conditions started to deteriorate. Sure. The yeah, understandably. The roof started to cave in, which is terrifying. Uh, <sighs> and they were running out of food. Meanwhile, the kidnappers, so we're going to kind of cut to here. The kidnappers had left the quarry. They drove home and they called the Chowchilla police to give their ransom demands. Oh. <laughs> so that was they their just, plan. They just trotted on home and used their own phones. That, that I know. Could... I'm going to give them a phone call real quick. I feel like for all of the thinking they've done so far, they didn't think like maybe we should use like an, a nondescript landline or something yeah it, follow, it falls apart really quickly but uh for what it's worth the switchboard at the police station was so overloaded with calls from Ugh. people looking for their children that they couldn't get through to give their ransom demands to the police oh my god so they took a nap oh, okay. <laughs> okay now we're gonna cut to ray and uh, ed ray and the older kids so Ed and the older kids who were in their early teens, like 13, 14, 15, stacked the mattresses in the truck so that some of them could reach the opening at the top, which had been covered with what they found out soon was a manhole cover and then weighed down with two 100-pound industrial batteries. Holy crap. So they are like locked in there with with this at least 200 i don't know how much a manhole cover weighs but at least 200 pounds uh Hang plus on, a I'm manhole gonna, cover i'm gonna look it up because i just I was... also like i'm thinking imagine the um how much does a manhole weigh such such a gross question um a manhole weighs weighs 250 pounds oh dear holy sh shit so plus the other 200 so like pounds. 450 pounds yeah forget it and i i was gonna say imagine like i i can't imagine being obviously ed who like feels responsible for 26 people also being the sole emotional crutch for all of these children yep and while you're getting calm. while you're getting no um like i'm sure he's doing nothing but panicking and all these like children are probably like clinging to him but also imagine being like one of the 13 or 14 year olds who's like has some semblance of awareness that like yep i am one of the older people here like it's it's up to me to help ed yes i'm like now uh, the adult in the situation oh. for lack of a better word yeah god exactly so that so they kind of teamed up which ended up being great so they ray and the oldest boy who was 14 his name was michael marshall spent hours trying to shove these heavy 450 pounds heavy items off of the opening of the top of the truck and they eventually and again they're like piled up on mattresses so it's not like they have like a ladder or anything uh, they eventually managed to actually wedge the lid open with a piece of wood and move the batteries. And then they were able to dig. They had to dig their way out because there was still debris uh, mm. from this quarry covering the entrance. So 16 hours after they had entered this truck, they oh were God. able to break free and dig their way out and pull all the children to safety. Thank God. I so, can't believe that. That's, At this I point, really thought these people are not coming home. Yeah, I don't know if I would have been able to cover it if all, <laughs> all of okay, them. Okay, fair. Were. But no, but it's a fair point. Like, it sounds so, like, doomed. Doomed I feel from like, the start. I feel like that is a good um, test. That, like, if Christine Schieffer is talking about a group of children a in a true crime story, 
chances are they're going to make it because otherwise Christine would already be a mess. So I would have passed that TikTok right on by. Um, So they had been stuck in this ordeal. So they'd been in the truck for 16 hours, but they had been stuck in this ordeal, this whole thing for 28 hours. So at this point, they've been at least Ed has been up and in like panic adrenaline mode for 28 hours. Ugh, fried. They finally, thank God, make it out of this truck and they begin walking toward the guard shack at the quarry. And they later talk to the guards who were just in shock seeing this man and 26 children like emerging out of the quarry. Can you imagine? Like, where did they come from? So the kids were taken to a local jail because it was the nearest place that could hold them all in like a safe place they were given apples and soda and they were examined by doctors there's a lot of photos of this too online um and it's you know it's sweet because the kids are so happy to be rescued um and it's all you know it's from 1970 the 1970s so it's kind of old school but the photos are there's still plenty of photo evidence of all this um they're examined by doctors uh the kids were very relieved and patient but they were antsy to get home obviously They had to wait four more hours until they could be reunited with their families. And at this point, they had to board another bus. Terrifying. Mm. Last thing you would probably want to do. And they were sent back to Chowchilla to meet their families. And there are also photos online of, um, they were in the CBS News article, of them reuniting with their families, which is uh, always at least a comforting image to see in a story like this. So police immediately, obviously, went to the quarry to search for clues, and they unearthed the trailer that had been buried 12 feet underground. So I have a photo of that. Yes, please. Um, How on earth did they even pull that out of the ground? How did someone bury a truck in the ground that held 27 people? And I'm pretty sure this was a uh, Criminal Minds episode, and I remember thinking, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) And like, apparently it was based on a true story. Okay. Here yeah. We go. Like, how do you even find enough dirt to cover the truck? After well, the- I guess in a quarry. <laughs> oh, okay. Fair enough. Just fair enough. mountains of dirt, but yeah. Wow. Oh, that's so just so so grim. Yeah. It's, it's wow. so you can see it's a moving truck or like a storage truck that they had just yeah, like buried underground, and then at the top there is where they were able to break free. Um, <sighs> so really, really, really terrifying. Um. Okay. It's almost. I mean, I know in the moment it must have been even scarier of like oh the ceiling literally is falling through and i have all these yeah. children on me but hey like if that didn't happen they might not have had a way out exactly i mean thankfully Holy. they were able to to uh, thankfully there were mattresses to climb up yeah you know and be able to get the the purchase to push 400 oh my pounds God. off you just to think something as simple as like if there weren't mattresses like they yeah. might not have made it they wouldn't have made it so here's the uh <laughs> Here's uh, what's happening. We're going to cut back to these kidnappers. Okay. So the kidnappers had taken a nap. Unfortunately for them, they had overslept. And they woke up only to find on the news that their victims had escaped this truck. (laughs) Sorry. Can you? Sorry. Like, thank God that happened, by the way. But can you imagine having like this whole plan? You clearly put so much thought into like Uh burying a fucking truck. How stupid. uh, and just to be like oh god like i took one goddamn sleep in this we is overslept yeah. yeah yeah there yeah. you go wow uh, okay so they they woke up on friday evening and were like oh shit our victims all escaped so now we're going to get into the answers to these questions like what the hell were these people thinking who are these yeah. people 
So eight days after the kidnapping, 22-year-old Richard Schoenfeld turned himself in, and less than a week later, Richard's brother, James Schoenfeld, and their friend, Frederick Newhall Woods IV, okay. who were both 24, were captured. Schoenfeld was captured in Menlo Park and Woods in Vancouver, British Columbia. So there's these two brothers, Richard and James, and then there was this guy, Frederick. So it turns out Frederick Woods IV was the son of the quarry owner. So they were onto him because he had keys to the quarry and he would have access to burying a truck underground and not many people would. So it turns out all three boys were from wealthy families who lived in San Francisco's nicest suburbs. Uh, And security guards had actually seen the three men digging in the quarry months before the kidnapping. So they were already planning this months in advance. So investigators uh, got a warrant to search Fred Wood's father's estate, where they found all sorts of evidence. uh, One of the most important being a piece of paper titled Plan. Oh, my God. Okay. Wow. Oh, my God. How direct. Okay. It's written in pen. Uh, It sets out how they were going to commit the kidnapping and what they would do if something went wrong. They also, I guess they didn't have a plan B for falling asleep, but oh well. Oh well. They also found the ransom note, which says, (laughs) I read the ransom note. It says, we are Beelzebub. They tried to write Beelzebub. Um, And before Beelzebub, they had like crossed it out because they'd spelled it wrong. And then they spelled (laughs) it wrong again. And I was like, nice try. (laughs) Isn't there that show like like Dumbest Criminals or something? It really feels, it has that vibe for sure. Also, Uh, like there's there's nothing more threatening than as then if you think you are calling yourself beelzebub i'm sure you think you're really hot shit and so there's nothing less threatening than not knowing how to spell it crossing it out and writing it again on the same piece of paper not even getting a new piece of paper i'm like come on this feels like a a kid wrote it plan we are beel nope 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 we're beel beelzebub plan and they had planned on asking originally for 2.5 million then they upped it to five million dollars i guess the reason they needed this money is they were like deeply in debt. Uh, and James Schoenfeld later explained, we needed multiple victims to get multiple millions. And we picked children because children are precious. The state would be willing to pay ransom for them. And they don't fight back. They're vulnerable. They won't mind. So They won't uh, mind. No, no. They, sorry. They will mind. Like, like oh, mind your manner. Like, they will mind. Oh, they will like, I follow you said, the like, rules. They, they won't, won't mind. <laughs> That's what I thought you said. Like, they'll be, they'll get it. One day when they're in debt, they'll understand. They'll like, get what? it. Like, what? That's no, so fucked up. They okay. will, like, mind our rules and stuff like that. I see. I see. They're obedient. Um, yes, exactly. So perhaps creepiest of all, they also found a note with a list of all the children's names and ages. Uh, and it later, they later found out that they had written these down as they pulled each individual child from the van. So mm. as they pulled them from the van and put them in that hole... They had them give their name and their age. So they had a whole list for the, I don't know, ransom purposes, I guess. Wow. And I don't know if you're going to answer this, but so the, were they just waiting for any old school bus to cross them? Like, because you know, it sounds like they didn't know who was on this bus. Yeah, I don't know if I think they probably knew. You know, what? I, I'm not sure. I, they must have known that this bus was driving down this secluded road because they had everything planned as far as like pulling into the road in front of the bus they planned uh maybe they didn't know the names of the children but they probably knew there was a summer school and they probably knew Mm. there was a field trip going on um 
because it's not like all these kids were on the same bus every single day. They just happened to be on a field trip. So they must have uh, planned that part out. Yeah, um, I don't know. And then gotten the details from the kids as they were <laughs> in the middle of this process. So all three perpetrators pleaded guilty to kidnapping for ransom and robbery, but they refused to plead guilty to infliction of bodily harm because if they were convicted on that in conjunction with the kidnapping charge, there would be a mandatory sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. Whoa. So all three kidnappers were eventually sentenced to life with the possibility of parole. And uh, as of right now, 36 years after the kidnapping, one of the brothers, Richard Schoenfeld, was granted parole in June of 2012. And then three years later, his brother James was paroled. Uh, the brothers said they have exchanged letters with some of their victims. And Rick even said that when their victims ask questions, quote, we apologize again for putting them through that ordeal. So that's the brothers. Now there's Fred Woods IV, uh, who okay. was the son of the quarry owner and... He is now 67. He's the last kidnapper in prison. Uh, and he was denied parole on October 8th, 2019 for the 19th time. Whoa. Yeah. And here are some of the reasons for why he's been denied parole. Uh, continued minimization of his crime, as well as disciplinary infractions for possession of contraband pornography and cell phones. Uh, in addition to that, in 2016, a workers' comp lawsuit filed against Woods also revealed that he had been running several businesses, including a gold mine and a car dealership from behind bars without notifying prison authorities. A gold mine? <laughs> a gold mine. He's just casually sitting on a fucking gold mine? Maybe he could afford a lawyer with that gold mine. I don't know. You would think so. Um I, what does that mean? I don't even, whatever. He's also but, the heir to two wealthy California families, the Newhalls and the Woodses. So he already has like trust funds from both of these families. And yet now he decides he needs to be running a gold mine from prison. <laughs> whatever. I mean, he's still, he's still up to his crafty ways, I guess. But I like, guess. but also like, dude, like, I don't know. I also, I was not expecting even the brothers to be able to get out but i guess if they've they're actively making amends with people and all yeah that. and so i guess one of the brothers gave himself up so i bet that gave him a leg up as far as like getting paroled um and the other brother seems to be yeah repenting in some way or to have acknowledged you know how bad this was so yeah you're probably right that that's why they got you know paroled eventually um but Fred, it gets even worse because, he, so as I said, he's the heir to two wealthy California families, the Newhalls and the Woodses. So he inherited a trust fund from his parents that was described in one court filing as being worth um, $100 million, which oh. now uh, is approximately $113 million. Uh, and although Woods' lawyer disputed that amount, uh, that's, that's the information we have as far as a court filing said. So he does mm -hmm. have a lawyer who said it's not that much, but we, okay, then how much is it? We don't know. Gotcha. Uh, he's married three times in prison and he has purchased a mansion about 30 minutes away from prison. So. Oh, just for, just, just for other people to use, I guess. I guess just empty for him in case he convinces someone to let him out. I don't know. I was going to say like, what a, you couldn't just like rent it like a, a super small apartment for starters. Like 
You also think like, why would you want to live thirty minutes from prison? I I would want I would m- right. buy a mansion in Bermuda and be like, let me out. I have places to I'd be. I buy I'd buy my own island or something. Yeah, if yeah, you got yeah, that yeah, kind exactly. of money. I'd be like, no one's gonna tell me what to do over here. Yeah, get me out of here. But wow, I guess that's I, where he wanted it. What a wild way to use your money. And I don't feel that bad about my Pokemon cards anymore. <laughs> you shouldn't. Um, I think you're okay. I've, You know what? I certainly didn't buy it a very unnecessary. I mean, I did buy a very necessary purchase, but nothing as expensive as a mansion I can't use. No, and you probably helped fund. Uh, what was it? Where did you buy them? I eBay them off of people who are selling yeah. their collection. So people are you're you're helping people who are selling their stuff i mean it's not like you're buying them off you know amazon or something you're that's true that's true yeah so as for the hero of our story good old ed ed ray the bus driver he was obviously revered in town he helped uh not only did he uh help the children escape he helped them keep calm and you know safe feel safe at least safer uh while they were all in this 28 hour ordeal so he received a california school employees association citation for outstanding community service and over the years he kept in touch with many of the children that he helped save which is very sweet and a lot of them over the years reached out and connected with him and well that's very sweet but also i kind of have to say doug like that like can mm-hmm. you imagine being five? And as far as you're concerned, this man saved you. Like I saved would, your life. Yeah, I would totally. There's no way I wouldn't have a relationship with him as long as he was open to it. But like, yeah, imagine like also. I know we've talked about this already that he was like the only adult there. But yeah, him reaching out and staying in touch with the kids. I what a weird relationship that must be to have trauma bonded with children mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like they're the only ones you different- can understand. And yeah, most of them are little. You know. He really is a hero. Holy shit. I agree. So uh, he kept in touch with a lot of the kids. He did pass away in 2012, but in 2015, Chowchilla named a local park, Edward Ray Park. And I know. And every February 26th, which was his birthday, was declared Edward Ray Day in Chowchilla. And uh, Ray Day? That's so fun. Edward Ray Day. Yeah. And it's funny. Somebody in the comments was like, of course he was a Pisces. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so the aftermath, uh, obviously it's a happy ending in the traditional sense, but, uh, Hey, we got a bus full of kids traumatized for life. Right. Mm -hmm. So there was an article written in 2001, um, in the San Francisco Chronicle and 2001 at this point is 20 years ago. So it, it, even though it was like a modern article written about, you know, obviously this is now 20 years later, but at the time the kids, uh, some of the kids being interviewed were about 30, uh, and, or like in their twenties, I guess. So one survivor, Laura Fanning said, we had a lot of therapy afterwards, but I still have these dreams that happen around Mm. every July. Uh, so she was five when the incident took place and she was known as Laura Yazzie at the time. She was the youngest victim on the bus and she described herself during that experience as quote, completely scared. Now I have these dreams of dying. Dracula is chasing me and he has a dog and then the dog comes up and bites me. So as she's, I think part of the reason to, sorry, this is just kind of like a thought I had in an interjection, but the relationship that Ed is having with these kids, it seems like, oh, well, duh. But a lot of the kids afterward did not want to ever 
revisit or touch this again. So I think a lot of them didn't want a relationship because they just didn't even want to to think think about about it. it. And he was maybe Mm -hmm. a trigger. I didn't even think about that. So yeah, I take take back my duh. Sorry. No, no, no. I mean, it's a good point because like, of course that connection would be there, but I think some people I'll have an example in a minute, but some people were just, they don't even want to talk about it to this day. Oh God. Um, So Laura also said, and the fears come out in other ways. You hear about a school under assault like Columbine, and if you're one of the Chowchilla victims, it gets to you more than it does to the average parent or child, which makes a lot of sense. You're seeing children as victims, and you're thinking, wow, that was me. That could have been me. Like, mm. you know, I understand the terror of of that. I can't um, imagine so- also them becoming parents and, like, now – yes, like, having children and seeing their kid go off on a bus to school. Like, I'd be like, oh, f- like, I wouldn't be able to – process that yeah it's funny you say that because uh one of the parents said that they do not let their children on buses they just can't fair can't enough do it yeah fair which enough. i don't blame them for one second yeah um so yeah there's a lot of some people can't get on buses they uh don't let their children on buses it's a lot of uh aftermath you know psychologically yeah. So victim 33-year-old John Estabrook, who was 33 at the time in 2001, uh, politely responded to a request to talk about this by saying, I'm not interested in getting back to that. I'd rather put it all behind me. Fair enough. Fair enough. His wife uh, says that now, well, this was 25 years later, so in 2001, she said, there are certain songs that come up. There's one I sing to my daughter, and it turns out that when they were all trapped underground, the older victims were entertaining the younger ones by singing oh i know this one gives me goose cam and she said so i was singing if you're happy and you know it clap your hands which is a bizarre song to sing in the bottom of a pit and john said honey that's not a good song to sing can you sing something else yeah so even though he's you know putting it all behind him there are certain things she's learning as his wife that like she needs to avoid to like you know help him still stay it's so sad that one of his triggers is that he can't even sing the song if you're happy and you know it right my god like just something and also that goes back to us talking about how the the oldest kids on the bus felt responsible to help mm-hmm. where they were like okay like we're gonna entertain the little kids so they don't cry that's we're i can't even play imagine games and sing songs and like they had to put their own fear aside yeah it's really frightening um they did actually do a, a study on these kids uh and it was i believe released in the 80s and this study found that the kidnapped children suffered from panic attacks, nightmares involving kidnappings and death, and personality changes. Many developed fears of such things as, quote, cars, the dark, the wind, the kitchen, mice, dogs, and hippies. <laughs> so it's like, oh. Honestly, now can I use my duh? Because, like, that, I feel like that's so freaking valid. I would be shocked if they didn't have yeah. a fear of the dark or just getting on a road just like driving in general are you kidding me i would never want to be on a road i never want to I, leave my house no i have never about like, di- dying and i've never been in this situation i can't imagine <laughs> i'm surprised agoraphobia isn't on there like just never wanting to leave your home it could be um there were definitely some instances that happened well i guess i'll i'll read it exactly from the quote but so I guess one of the survivors shot a Japanese tourist with a BB gun when the tourist car broke down in front of his home because he was responding in like just mm. fear-based 
response to this. Uh, Many of the children continue to report symptoms of trauma at least 25 years after the kidnapping, including substance abuse and depression. And a number have been imprisoned for doing something controlling to somebody else. That's a quote. Oh, yeah. Interesting angle. Um, And what was learned from the after effects suffered by the kidnapping, kidnapped children has guided the treatment of young victims of trauma since the kidnapping. So, It's at least done good in that small way. Well, not small way, big way. Um, And in 2016, the 25 surviving kidnapped children settled a lawsuit they had filed against their kidnappers, which good for you because this guy has $110 million behind bars and is has a gold a literal gold mine like and he's also like still minimizing the whole issue being an ass about it exactly so they did receive money as part of frederick uh paid out of frederick wood's trust fund um and although the exact settlement amount was not disclosed one survivor stated that they had each received quote enough to pay for some serious therapy but not enough for a house (laughs) so which is so ironic because this fucker's actually just buying, buying houses for no house reason. Mansions. Yeah, you should be things. buying each of them a mansion. I, mean, I agree. In Bermuda, an island. I don't know yeah. something. Yeah. Um, and this is my final point here. When they asked Ray uh, in this San Francisco Chronicle article what he took away from the ordeal, this was before he passed in 2001. Uh, he reflected for a long time. He then told the reporter he had learned one very valuable lesson: don't stop the bus. Whoa! And that's the story of the Chowchilla kidnapping. Wow, that's I, I don't Isn't know that bonkers. Wow, that was a that was I mean when I say a good story, I hope you know what I mean. But that I, was oh I mean I know what you mean. Yeah, super eerie. I really I just feel so bad. For, I feel so bad for those kids. I can't. Yeah, the uh, fact I, again, it's one of those things where like because it is relatively recent, it, it's harder to be able to remove the reality from it, which it, which shouldn't be happening anyway. But it's it's because it's uh, people are still alive from that time it's you know what it i feels, mean like yeah it feels more visceral more, power, I don't know. more yeah. powerful more eerie more it can happen to you and yep yep oh it's just it, if i just i just another thing for i guess you to be terrified of now that you have a child too i know so. right it never it never ends um and i mean one of the reasons i bet that this hasn't been as extensively maybe covered um or known about is maybe because thankfully everybody physically survived the incident. I wonder if, you know, obviously if yeah. everyone had died, that probably would have been a much more, I don't know, widely spread story. Um, yeah. but it's just such a crazy story for me to never have heard about doing this show for five years. I'd never heard about this. It's just baffling to me. Yeah. And also I just like how you said earlier, I mean, it's the, like the largest mass kidnapping, yeah, in U.S. history, at least it was at the time. I'm not sure if that's let's still the hope. Case, let's let's hope the let's number hope, hasn't right? changed. I know, but, but like the fact that, yeah, the fact that no one has even talked about this or like even knew about it. I guess the narrative would have been really different if everyone died. Yeah, but, which also makes me feel kind of sad that like, what because they survived, like this shouldn't be mentioned. Like no, exactly, like, exactly. You know? It's the only thing I can think of that f- as a reason why this hasn't been more widely spread. Um, so oh my God, I have the trauma. I can't. Buried alive. I mean, terrible. Truly. So. Oh my God. That's the story, Em. <laughs> Thank you. Well, <laughs> that, was, that, was a, that was a good one, but wow. I just, I'm sure, I don't know. I don't even know what to say. I, uh, 
what did you think of it as a mother going in? Is, did it affect or did it paint your image differently? Um, I don't think so yet. I think, I think it's still once, removed. Yeah, I think it is still removed. And I think it's just because the, my baby's still a baby and I can't really imagine putting her on a bus. I think on when she's older and I'm like sending her out into the world, these kind of stories will probably hit home a lot harder. Like I, I honestly would not blame you or any, anytime I meet a paranoid parent, I'm like, I feel like you have every fucking right. To, <laughs> like, I feel like there's no such thing as too paranoid of a parent these days. I'm like, you know it's what? So you might hard as, to not unfortunately, be scared. Yeah. Unfortunately, you might as well be scared of everything. Like there's, there's always reasons it's hard not that to would, be. that would justify why you feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. Boy. I, and like you said, I'm scared to just leave my house sometimes. So I don't, I don't even, I can't imagine yeah. having to worry about another person living a life. Oh my God. Separately from you. Yeah. But anyway, that's the story. So I guess now we're going to do our little bonus thing for Patreon. Oh yeah. If you haven't tuned in in a while, we're now doing um, additional content on Patreon where after we record, we just, Hang out for a little, do a little chit chat, and maybe I'll talk about my gross Fiji water bottle again, full of grape juice. We can I don't only know. hope. We can only hope that that doesn't happen. So, <laughs> and that's why we drink grape juice out of Fiji bottles. No, thank you. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Mm-hmm. 